so we are, we are in, I'm actually kind of sad today because this is the last chapter of the narrative of Daniel. So, so now we get to like look behind the scenes and see what him and the Lord have been talking about and what the Lord's been revealing to him. That's like chapter 7 through 12. But today we're in the last chapter of, of basically like this is what Daniel experienced in his lifetime. And we only get six chapters of it. I'm like, man, I wish we had 50 because of the, all the things that were left out. But today is actually why we have a lion. <laughs> you know, if you're not familiar with the story of Daniel, like, what's with the lion? Why is the lion everywhere? And so finally, now that Daniel's in his 80s, we actually get to the story that most people would attribute to, like, oh, Daniel in the lion's den, right? Um, that's what that book's about. And it's like, actually, we've covered 79 years of his life, and we haven't gotten to that yet. Um, but today, we're in Daniel chapter 6. And, you know, I was, last night, I was just thinking about how sweet it is as a body of Christ to rally around a book of the Bible. And I'll, I'll never forget being in Frisco, Texas. Patty and I were newly married 16 years ago. And we went as a church through the book of Job, and it took over 50 weeks, 5-0. We actually applauded the week that the pastor was like, this is our last week in Job. He got a standing ovation. No, no joke. No joke. Uh, we were there. He had a standing ovation that day. But it wasn't because we hated the book. It was just, it was a marathon. But also, though, that's like been with me my, for 16 years now. And that has guided me, and there's been parts, and then times when I go back to that book, a lot of what corporately came up in conversations around campfires and community groups and gathering together, the Lord brings back. And I was just like, Lord, would you allow us to go through the book of Daniel many times in the life of this church? Would, uh, now, I, I'll only be around, Lord willing, for, for several decades, but um, man, would we maybe several times go through knowing that we'll all be in different places with our walk with God at that time. The Lord would grow all of us and we'll see brand new things in that book. And so, uh, but with today we're in Daniel chapter six, a crucial chapter of Daniel and where we're at right now in our lives at this moment in the life of the church, man, Lord, I just ask that your words in this chapter would be just directly from you, straight to us. You, you did great things through Daniel, and what made him great was you. I know one day we'll hopefully get to talk to him, and I'm pretty certain that he will just be talking about you and not how great he was, but how great he's able to see you do things um, just because of your power in his life. And Lord, I pray that that would be true for each of us. And even today, would you disciple us? Would you form us into your people? If that means trusting you for the first time and starting this relationship with you, that yes, will absolutely change everything, but we'd never want to go back. It would be like having kids. You, you'd, it changes everything, but you'd never want to go back to the way it was before. And Lord, maybe that relationship would start today. Lord, if we've been walking with you for a while, and you want to disciple us further into something, we just say yes and amen, have your way. We don't want to play at church today. We want to actually meet with you for our good, the good of those around us, the good of our community, and just for you to be worshiped through our lives. We pray these things, amen.
All right, verse one of chapter six. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, governors, 120 governors. So this is a large amount of land. 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over, and over them. Remember, this is the, the Mede and Persian kingdom. And over, over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one of the three high officials. You're like, wow, this guy is like in the mix. Daniel's in the mix to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Make sure you see the end of verse two there. Darius has put these men, including Daniel, in the positions he has so that Darius might not suffer loss. He's starting his empire. He's starting his administration, and he's selecting people that he thinks are gonna be really good for the administration and good for his leadership. It's in the king's interest and the Persian empire's interest to appoint these men. Then verse three, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. So with all this group, Daniel, you could be like, oh man, he's like, he's highlighted as kind of a leader among all of these leaders in the Persian empire because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Verse four, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. So you might be like, oh, is he doing a terrible job? But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Verse five, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Gosh, I feel like if you guys wanted to find a complaint about me and you dug deep enough, like it wouldn't take you very long. (laughs) Like you would find something. Talk to Pat, you would find something. Like they can't find any dirt on him and we're not gonna dwell very much all but here there's a cool picture here that this is what I think of when I think of Darius is these are the tombs of the four kings of Persia that are all mentioned in the Bible. So which is cool. So if you're in Iran and you go here, um, this one here is Darius's tomb. And all of this, um, and all this down here, and all this space here are just solid writings. And so it's like telling about Darius and his reign and all that stuff. Um, and so, so, so these are real people. These are real tombs. And you can see how gigantic it is. Like, this is a person right there. So uh, it's a, a, a basically they're buried in a mountainside, which would be um, at one time the Persian Empire had 45% of the entire population of the planet were under the Persian Empire during this time, during this time. So Darius is exceedingly powerful. I think you can make an argument more powerful than Nebuchadnezzar was. Um, So here, though, Darius is setting this up, and what we are reading in verses 1 through 5 is the setting up of Darius's empire and the beginning. And I think, take this to heart, because this is like, as you keep going back to a book of the Bible and you're like, okay, I heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den when I was was a kid. 
And man, it's a great story, but I'm seeing more details of it now. And what we're seeing in verse one through five is the positioning of a conspiracy at the highest of levels to assassinate Daniel. We don't use the term kill anymore or murder because he is like the prime minister and he's getting ready to be promoted to the prime minister. And it's not these like crazy people over here. It's actually like, like all of the, the House and Senate and people from the House and Senate around him that are conspiring to figure out a way to kill him because they've tried to get him fired. They can't find anything. And the only thing they can find on him potentially is dirt on his God. Amen. So like there's a conspiracy underway. And one of the things I think about too is like that's the way I want to be in our community too. Is like if someone hates me, I want it to be because they hate Jesus. Like if they are really angry with me, I want to be like, you know what? I think they're angry at Jesus. And that's why they're angry at me because I'm sharing things that Jesus has shared. Or I'm, I'm trying to do something that, or live in a way that Jesus is, is looking to me to live for my thriving. And they're really mad at that or something. And it's like, man, I, I think you have a beef with Jesus. I don't think you have a beef with me. And, um, and that's kind of where they're coming with Daniel too. Here's how the conspiracy unfolds. Verse six, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, bold-faced lie, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document and injunction. Darius is tricked and he's lied to. He set up people to advance his agenda. Darius had set up these people to advance his agenda and they are advancing their agenda. They speak lies saying that all the high officials agree to this. Well, gosh, they definitely left out one of them. (laughs) If all the high officials agree to this, Daniel was not consulted and he was actually over them. So they're, they're, they're approaching Darius with lies. They don't care about Darius being worshiped. They, they make it seem like, hey, wouldn't it be good if just everybody comes to you for the next 30 days and nobody goes to their gods? Everybody comes to you? That sounds smart, doesn't it? We all agree. Let's just do this for 30 days. Okay. Signs the document. They don't care about Darius being worshiped. They care about Daniel being assassinated. And they, they are the ones who suggest the den of lions as a fitting punishment to a man who's in his 80s. And um, so this has just happened, and I encourage us, man, it's easy to get distracted, um, but I encourage us that the next few verses that we even, maybe you need to just ask the Lord, like, help me be super engaged right now. (laughs) Help me be super present in this moment because we're about to see power on display in ways that I think like would make the earth shake a little bit and definitely would make Satan shudder. And if you're like, what's Daniel's secret? How can this guy that we've seen in the last five, how can he live with such peace 
and such courage and such confidence. A man of God is going to say, okay, you, we finally in chapter 6 get to see the curtain pulled back, confronted with this huge decision. Worship Darius and live or worship God and die. Here's the way that Daniel processes this. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went, every word here is, is weighty. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. There's so much in this verse. So the first thing he does is he withdraws, not to like be a loner and just be frustrated and punch a wall or something. He withdraws to solitude. Solitude is not being alone. Solitude is meeting with your true king in private. And this is part of his routine, as he had done previously. So he has a designated place where every day, day by day, month by month, year by year, decade by decade, part of his routine is opening windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. So he has this prayer room, a war room. (laughs) Some of you have seen that movie. But he's got this room. He opens windows every day, it seems like, towards Jerusalem. And part of that is hope. That's where he came from. That's where God's presence was dwelling in the temple. It's still just been decades since the temple was utterly destroyed. You know, Nehemiah, they would come back and rebuild the wall. Ezra, they would come back and start rebuilding the temple. That would get destroyed. Uh, Then Herod would come and rebuild the temple that Jesus would see. But at this time, the temple is, is destroyed. And for a lifetime, truly a lifetime, in hope, Daniel's opened the windows, gotten on his knees. He's not praying to that building. He's praying to God with a hopeful direction. And then the fact, I've, so I have purposely gotten on my knees more this week than I have any week in, in years in my prayer time. And I'm 42 years old, and like, I like groan when I get up and stuff, like just physically, right? And here's an 80-year-old man multiple times a day on his knees praying. And it's not, that's not, there isn't power in that. But man, when you posture your body in a way that you're posturing your heart, um, you know, like if I'm trying to be all humble and I'm like doing this, like, I mean, it's just like my body and my heart are like fighting against each other. But in humility, he would be on his knees and he's not freaked out. Look what he's doing on his knees. He's giving thanks what do you have to be thankful for? You're a leader of one of the worst, one of the most wicked kingdoms of Babylon and Persia. The Lord has placed you there, and you could, man, you could be bitter. Like, man, this is not the script that I wanted for my life, and all these bozo kings around me, and man, they're always doing stuff that putting my life on the line, and I'm sick of it. Or, I mean, he could have gone that direction, and instead he's like, God, thank you. Why are you thanking him? when you're trying to decide if how your life on the line is gonna play out. But he has a thankful heart. And I think 
what he's so thankful for is um, he's present with God. And he's present with this powerful God so that even the threat of being eaten alive by lions is on the back burner when he's in the presence of God. You know, it'd be like him actually walking into God's like throne room and being so consumed with the mercy and the power and the joy of being in his presence that the Lord might have been like, hey, why did you walk in here? And be like, ah, I don't even remember. Why was, oh yeah, I might be eaten by lions today. That's why I kind of got in the back burner as I came into your presence. And, um, and we see that, that he is giving thanks. I mean, man, that's like messed with me this week is that he is actually giving thanks before his God and not even bringing up the lion's stuff. And this is his MO. This is the way he lives his life. This is the God that he walks with. And then, um, and then verse 11. So he is giving thanks. And then look at verse 11. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that everyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, Yes, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, and I just imagine Darius going, Oh. I've been tricked, I've been played. Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. I mean, gosh, they like know his personal habits of coming to God three times a day. And Daniel probably knew they were spying on him and was just like, what can you do to me? when I'm in the presence of him. And so, um, so he lets them spy on him. And then, man, look how Darius, verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Is there any way I can undo this? Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians. No injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. We see this later play out with, with, um, um, with, with other people in the Bible. We see this at the time of Esther. It's the same reign where like, like with Mordecai, Esther, and Haman, and they give a plot that, yes, like kind of accidentally all the Jews can be killed, and they actually had to just create another law that they could fight back because they couldn't change the law once it's set in place. And that was just the way the Persian Empire was. And so they're like, Darius, you set this in motion. You can't do it. And he could have been like, yeah, but you tricked me. And it's like, well, is that your signature? Verse 16, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And man, you could underline in your Bible or underline in those journals the word continually. You're going to see every time Darius talks about Daniel, he uses that word continually. May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. 
And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king rose, went in haste to the den of lions. He came near to the den where Daniel was, He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Man, Darius' love for Daniel, his concern for Daniel is clear. Man, and what's also clear is that it's obvious that, that Daniel continually walks with God. Man, would we be accused of that? Would we be spoken that way. Darius mentions this every time he addresses Daniel. Darius is in anguish. If there's any question what the heart of Darius was like, scripture's like, I just want to let you know the way that people's hearts were here. Darius was in anguish as he approached it. And you have to, you have to, if this is all, if this is where the Bible ends abruptly, because the rest was lost in history, we'd be like, Daniel's toast. That was the end of him. Well, he went out Faithfully, um, and then verse 21 just says, it's awesome and it shares some awesome details. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. That was just a greeting that they, that, that they said to kings. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So I love like, like Daniel, if he was freaked out, could have been like, hey, can we have this conversation outside of the lion's den? But he's not that way, right? He's in there. Then they take him out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, so just if you think maybe the lions weren't hungry, Verse 24, the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought, cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Uh, so this is, this is serious. This is how the king of Persia um, dealt with this and those who were, who were seeking to be traitors to the empire. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So the reason lions didn't touch Daniel was definitely not because they weren't hungry. They were ravaged with hunger. The reason that the lions didn't touch Daniel was because one of the most fearsome, powerful, awe-inspiring things that God ever created, angels that typically just struck people with fear where maybe they couldn't even fall down because their legs locked so quickly, an angel came to hang out with Daniel in the lion's den. These could have been archangels. This could have been Michael. Mike, we know Michael and Daniel had some interactions in Daniel chapter 12. Could have been Gabriel who came to tell uh, Mary that Jesus was coming. They're in the room, and what I love is like, man, if there is an angel in the room, I think the lions were like, I- I'm not going close to that. I mean, the lions were afraid of the angel. I don't think the lions were like, 
growling and being all that. I think they were cowering in the corner, being like, if I go near that thing, it's going to tear me up. And what I love is that for a night, for the night, Daniel and the angel were just hanging out. And gosh, I was just been like, I wish I could have heard those conversations. You know, I would have loved to been a fly on the wall there. I mean, it would have been scary to even be a fly on the wall inside that place. But to actually, to have Daniel be in a place to have the ability to spend a night with an angel who lions didn't even dare come to. Angels are, are ancient. There's, uh, some theologians believe that angels could have likely been created even before the, the earth was made. And uh, their angels don't give birth and stuff. So every angel that exists, they were all created at the same moment. Uh, so they all have the same birthday. And, uh, and a third of them became demons in following the leadership of Satan. Um, but here we have an angel that for their entire existence has been before the face of God. And we also see in the book of Hebrews that all angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And what I love is, uh, is Jesus. So like we've, we have this lion, which represents this part of scripture, but Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, um, you know, he's, man, he's good, but he's not tame, right? And I can just see the angel looking over at these lions and been like, this is what you guys are afraid of? You guys call these things lions? <laughs> Whatever. I can show you a lion. I can show you a lion that I have been face-to-face with for a lifetime. And these guys have nothing on him. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And man, when you are at peace with that lion, you are untouchable. Nothing has you. Um, And that's who Daniel withdraws to. And those are the prophecies we saw of Daniel that this true king is coming. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The true king is coming. And he is going to end all kingdoms and his kingdom will grow and be an untouchable kingdom that will spread throughout. And I think having Daniel and the angel have the same focus and center of their lives, the lion of the tribe of Judah, that when a person is at peace with that God, man, fear, you think about it, everybody, everybody, like let's say this is like all the Persians right here, and it's like, okay, here's the line, and at that line, if you cross that line and you actually talk to that God, you're going to be thrown in the lion's den, and everybody went up that line and was like, nah, not today, I'll, I'll maybe some other time, but not today. And then Daniel's the only one that's like, my God's up there? Yeah, your God's there. You talking to that God's, okay. You know, and he just goes, and then the things he experiences here, he, the, what he experiences, I mean, it would be hard press if you say, Daniel, in your 80 years, what was the best day of your life? Man, I would put money on him saying, when I was in the den of lions, man. That angel was pretty amazing. 
once I got over the shock of, of it all, that was a good day. And then verse 25. So we had a worship song that was written by Nebuchadnezzar earlier in the book, and now Darius writes an anthem that he sends to 45% of everybody living on the earth, commanding them this, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, who is also uh, Cyrus the Persian, was one of the other tombs uh, on that mountainside. But I just love that the guy in that tomb on that mountainside wrote this, that it's like, yeah, he's, he's gone. He's been gone for a long time, but he's writing that... Um, that he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And uh, man, I think just us, just meditate on that, remembering that. And so, man, how, how should this form us? How should this disciple us? How is this forming me? Um, one of the big ways that, uh, just a question that has kept coming up that, that I hope becomes a question for our community is do I have continual faithful routines like Daniel? Do I have, I think we have it up here too, do I have continual fruitful routines like Daniel? Solitude, humility, saying thanks continually, because uh, Silas, my son, is, um, he's really into basketball. Uh, the quarantine stuff has just been like basketball, a lot of basketball. And one of the things that we'll talk about is like, hey, when you practice, if like as you're practicing, you miss every shot, and every shot you miss, 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 so then you're like, I'm ready for the game. You know, it's like, no, you're, you're forming all this muscle memory of missing, you know, and stuff. And, and there might be, I mean, I'm not an expert in coaching, so I might just said something totally wrong. But what I do think is true is as you practice, you're building, you're building this routine, this muscle memory as you practice. And then when you're in the moment, you just go, right? In the moment, you're not like, well, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm only doing a game like in a few months. I'll pick up basketball you know, an hour before the game starts. It's like, no, you gotta, you gotta be in it, you know? And what I love is when Daniel's confronted with this life or death decision, he just does what he's been practicing. <laughs> and he just does what he does every single day. And man, Patty and I have had some really dark days. We had about a thousand days in a row where we didn't know if we were gonna make it to the next day. So for about a thousand days, it was like, as we go to bed, it was like, I hope the sun rises on our life tomorrow. I hope the sun sets on our life tomorrow. And for a thousand days, we did that. And one of the things that I feel like got us through that time, um, and the Lord, by his sovereignty, may lead us into a time like that again, but I feel like one of the things that got us through that time was we just kept doing what we'd always been doing and, uh, and realized that in there, we were finding life because we were meeting with Jesus, and he's the author of life. And so I think for each of us, 
in the, just to look to Daniel, and I think a key of Daniel chapter six is Daniel doesn't rise up to the moment like this hero and do something he never does. He actually just goes to his knees like he does every day, three times a day. And what makes Daniel powerful is because he meets with God who is powerful. Not that he like tries really hard and like tries to be powerful. I had a mentor in seminary. He's been in heaven. uh, He's been in a great place for many years now, but Howard Hendricks was his name. And um, he said to us who are in our 20s, he said, as now, so then. And he was a guy, like, he, he talked that way. We were like, oh, gosh, okay. Like, he would say four words, and then you'd be like, okay, we got to figure out what he's saying here. And then he'd be like, as now, so then. And then, so we'd get him aside and be like, what do you mean by that? And he said, I just find over a lifetime, he had been a professor at the seminary I went to for 53 years at the time I had him. And so he had, uh, he had led many people uh, into great mentoring places, and uh, he just said, I just find people who are like, yeah, I'll get serious and walk with Jesus next year when I'm done with school. They don't. But the people who are just like, well, I need to walk with Jesus. Okay, I guess I'll start right now. He's like, yeah, if you're doing it now, you'll do it then. As now, so then. And he said, just do now. The person you want to be in 20 years, do that today. (laughs) Walk down that road today. And I say, do I have continual fruitful routines? Because you're like, well, I do a bunch of stuff, and I hate it. It's like, well, that's not fruitful, right? I mean, it's like if I do the same workout routine all the time, it's like maybe you should change what you do, and maybe we should talk about it because I want a fruitful routine that is growing my passion and my relationship with God for a lifetime. And Daniel, it appears, had that for 70 years. Um, And maybe even before that when we see how he was in his teenage years. And then second, Are my routines forming peace and courage? Peace and courage. I love that when confronted with unimaginable situations, Daniel's like, well, I've got God, so I think I'm okay. And he can be this peaceful presence in the middle of the most horrendous storm because of the solid rock that he's standing on. And if you're like, well, I have all these routines, they feel peaceful or they feel fruitful, but man, I'm just not, now, I'm not talking about we can all have anxiety, we can, we can have clinical depression, we can, all of this stuff that's real. But what I'm saying is like, is a trajectory of my walk with Jesus a trajectory towards him discipling me of peace, humility, but not peace and humility that leads us to passivity or just being wise people that just sit on a couch and smoke a pipe and just kind of like philosophize about things, but actually courageously on mission, going for it, being unafraid to cross lines that would freak people out, but because we're at peace with God, we can courageously take ground with him as he's on the move in our community. And man, there's lots of ways that we can live this out. This could be this could be an ex, ex-wife, ex-husband, somebody that throws you a text message and is just berating you. And instead of just throwing back a fuel, rage, hateful response, you could just withdraw and just be at peace with God and be like, God, I just thank you that you and my relationship, that I'm at peace with you. And then be able to courageously step into something, having that 
peaceful presence about us. Uh, that could be being bullied at school, and instead of owning all of what's being said to you, you're instead meeting with your God who made you and is powerfully having a relationship with you that is flooding you with peace, and you could maybe just forgive that person or look the other way or, or whatever it may be. Um, but man, if we don't experience, I think if we don't observe an increase of peace and courage, and we have all sorts of opportunities not to have peace and not to have courage right now, but if we're not feeling that, if we're not seeing that when we look in the mirror, what we don't wanna do is give up and we don't wanna try harder. Those are both ditches. You don't wanna give up, you don't wanna try harder because both of those have Jesus nowhere in sight, right? Um, you could try harder all day and Jesus is like, <clears throat> I would like to be a part of this. And when we actually bow our knees to him, meet with him in solitude, and then get up and go for it um, with his strength that he gives, that's when we think, see things changed. As Daniel saw entire empires being forced to consider the claims of Jesus just because he simply spent time with his God. So, um, man, we're going to take communion today as a way to draw near to him, as a way to draw near to Jesus, because we don't want to draw near to, to courage. We want to draw near to Jesus who gives us courage. We don't want to draw near to peace. We want to draw near to Jesus who gives us peace. Now, the most fearful thing that could possibly happen is not get coronavirus. Uh, the most fearful thing that could possibly happen is not be thrown into the lion's den. The most fearful thing that could ever happen is to not be at peace with the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is the most fearful thing that could ever happen to us. And so the warnings to taking communion, so the, the way we're going to do it, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty easy, but it's different. We've never done it this way before, is we've got two cups in one cup, and then, um, and this is just juice, and then there's a gluten-free cracker in here, so sorry about that, but we just thought that would be most simple, um, and so uh, then what we'll do is just uh, come and take a cup, and we were careful with who touched these and everything, uh, take a cup, we'll go back to our seats, and we'll take it together. The largest warnings in scripture about taking um, the bread, which represents his body, lived perfectly in our place, given for us, and his blood shed for us, washing us white as snow, because the most dreadful thing is for our sins to be what keeps us from this amazing God. And the warnings in scripture are not to non, people who aren't followers of Jesus taking this. The warnings in scripture are towards people who are followers of Jesus taking this in a, in a flippant way, without actually repenting, without actually drawing near to him confessing our sins, communing with him. As we draw near to us, he changes us, makes us more like him. And this is communion. Corporately, we're communing with Jesus together. And so if you came in here and were not a follower of Jesus, I would say, don't take this, take Jesus. Receive him as your savior, then come and take communion as a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, uh, just spend a few moments, if you would. Patty, or, uh, <laughs> Patty's there. Christy will be um, leading us, uh, leading some, uh, us into just kind of a, a heart of worship. And then um, we'll, we'll, we'll take the elements, go back to our seats, all lead us in taking it as family together. 
and then um, and then we have been dismissing by rows. Um, this week we'll we'll just will Christy will dismiss us, um, but let's not congregate in here or kind of in the hallway. Let's just, it's super beautiful outside. I think it still is. It's super beautiful out there. So let's talk and, and interact with each other out there. Um, and then remember that we're doing two services next week. And so, um, so Lord, I thank you for your body. I thank you that you didn't just watch us from heaven. And you did stuff that Daniel didn't even know exactly how it was gonna play out. And we know now. We know that you came for us, that you gave yourself for us. You paid the penalty of the sins of all people so that all people can effortlessly, it costs you so much, but it's free to us. But we must go. Individually, each of us must meet with you, bow our knee to you, give our lives to you, and get your life in exchange. And Lord, for those of us who have been following you, Lord, would you just show us things that we may need to repent of in this moment? Lord, keep us from, um, keep us from heaping shame on us. There's, there's none of that because you have, you have taken all of that, Lord. And we actually can be what you tell us. You actually use the word free. So as we walk up here, would we walk with a excitement and a freedom that we are free in you. Allow us to commune with you together in this place. Amen. All right, let's uh, come when you're ready. And once again, go back to your seats and we'll take it together.